You're listening to the iterators of the Imperium. Hi, I'm Mess, and I'm here with my lovely co-host Ryan, and you're listening to Season 4 of the It's Righteous of the Imperium podcast, the podcast in which Ryan still is the expert on Warhammer 40k, and I still am the noob trying to learn about the Warhammer universe. I don't know why I'm still a noob, by the way. I would actually call myself uh, an intermediate at this point, Ryan. Though I'm rusty, though, but yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, maybe at the end of last <laughs> season you might have been. The start of this one, you went right back down. <laughs> Oh, for God's sakes. I've had a lot, long summer. We talked about this last episode as well. Yeah. But that's we're, fine. We're I'm getting back for into a while. Ways. Yeah. But it's fine. We're back. And uh, yeah, Ryan, let's get into it. So would you start us off? Well, again, like we usually, we have a gimmick every season. And in this season, I am challenging Mez to bullshit <laughs> and uh, make up a definition or tell us the definition, if he actually knows, uh, of a particular phrase or word that's going to turn up in that day's episode. So last week it was the Throne Mechanicus, and that went horribly wrong. No, I actually think mine was good. I'm I'm going to say here... (laughs) It was good, it just wasn't accurate. (laughs) That is true, but it was still good. I I think I was close. I wasn't. Uh, but today's uh, word for you, Mez, is the word rubric. Tell us what the rubric is. So it's a bone inside of your body. It's located yeah. like right above here with your, like close to your shoulders. Mm. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, like I'm next kidding. to your clavicle. <laughs> yes, exactly. Your epidermis is showing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody knows that reference, shout out. Classic Simpsons. Um, but not what? A rubric, she say. Rubric. Why? I'm getting like immediately with my bullshit mind. Like I, I, I get like a Rubik's cubes, but it's not that. It's I not feel that. Like, I feel like since it's Warhammer, it has to do something with war. <laughs> you know? Apparently reasonable. Is it a weapon? Some kind of weapon or armor no, or anything. It is it is not a type of weapon. Okay. I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's not a physical object. Okay. Uh then I I I, I must say I'm lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a physical object, hence it can be literally anything. <laughs> like that's, that's fair. That's fair. Fair, fair point. Uh, fair thing to point out, though, it's not just rubric; it's the rubric. The rubric. Yes. Oh. Well, now I'm intrigued. Yeah. But I'm still clueless. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, would you like to get into it then? Yes. All right. So that's going to turn up later on in our episode. That's a special tool we'll use later. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to edit like a little thing and like a little light bulb above my head when you mm. mention it and I know what it is <laughs> later on in the episode. Oh. Like, oh my god, I know what it is. <laughs> yeah. All right. So today we will be discussing the Thousand Sons. Of course, okay. we did discuss their storyline in season three when we we're talking about Magnus. But yes. we're gonna take this opportunity to talk specifically about like a major character from that legion and uh, some kind of extra storylines 
that are interesting but didn't necessarily fall into last season. Yeah. Uh, so we're just going to expand on it a little bit, you know? And yeah. this is all with a purpose of bringing us up to, like, a point where we could discuss the modern day properly uh, without, you know, being lost. Because yeah. obviously next season we're wanting to get up to some modern day stuff. So that's what we have in mind at the moment. Yeah. So we are going to begin with a story from the Great Crusades, right? This mm-hmm. is shortly before the heresy kind of kicks off. Yeah. So this whole story takes place on a planet called Morningstar, right? And interestingly, mm-hmm. this is the world where Magnus gained the title the Crimson King. Yep. Yeah. So this world is one of the few that survived the Age of Strife. So humanity's been here for God knows how long. And the point we're looking at this world, it is in the middle of like a mass upheaval, right? Mm -hmm. This planet has this weird thing where every, you know, God knows how many thousands of years, the planet's magnetic poles switch, which is actually a thing that scientifically can happen, by the way, right? But when this happens, it causes loads of like geo... uh, geographical instability so volcanoes start going off all over the place uh, and the environment all just goes to hell so the whole planet basically tries to tear itself apart for a while and then will gradually restabilize after the event has occurred but in the run up to it there's no way a human surviving living on this planet right it's just not going to happen no so since this is the case and humanity will be wiped off this planet if left to their own devices uh, the Emperor of Mankind sees fit to send two of his sons and their sons in kind to go mm-hmm. evacuate the populace. Mm-hmm. Perfectly reasonable stuff. Yeah. The two sons in question that he sends are Magnus the Red and Perturabo. Mm-hmm. And obviously they have their legions with them. Thousand Sons Thousand Iron sons. Warriors. Yep. Yeah. And the two, the two of them and their legions all work together as best they can to save as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. But obviously, with all the kind of magnetic storms and all the kind of geographical nonsense going on, it's very difficult. Uh, for example, because it's a magnetic polarity swap on the planet, it causes loads of issues with void ships landing and taking off. So trying to actually get people off the planet is quite difficult. But yeah. also you've got all like the environmental hazards, like storms and stuff going on which make it even harder beyond that. And the really fun part is that there was also a cult that popped up on this planet around this time uh, called the Cult of Shaitan that believed that the populace had to die to be saved. They were like a death cult. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so they didn't want anyone getting evacuated. They wanted everyone Mm. to stay and die. So that's fun. (laughs) That sounds lovely. (laughs) Delightful people, honestly. Delightful people. Truly, truly <laughs> delightful. Uh, but during the kind of the time that we are looking at this world, we get to see how close Magnus and Perturabo actually are. So mm-hmm. I mentioned it before, but I'll explain it properly now. Uh, there is a scene in this story where Magnus and Perturabo are kind of alone together in Perturabo's workshop, and he shows him that he's made him a couple of things that he's asked for. 
Yeah. And one of them is a replica of the Antikytherian mechanism. It's, I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. Uh, it doesn't ring a bell. I think we mentioned it in passing, possibly in the Perturabo episode. Uh, there's like a Greek island called Antikythera. Like, actually, this is a real Wait. thing, right? Yeah, that remind that rings a bell. We talked about this last episode. Yeah. Oh, no, well, sorry, not, sorry. Last, uh, last season. season. Last season. Yeah, I. So for anyone that isn't aware, there is like a Greek island called Antikythera and yeah. a bunch of sponge divers a, a very long time ago found a ton of like brass statues and relics and stuff under the water. And it seems like it was just a, a, a ship had crashed into like the rocks at this island and sank and all its cargo kind of spilled. So these sponge divers found all these ancient statues and things a, a long time later. And amongst it, there was an object called the Antikytherian Mechanism. That's what we refer to it as. It seems like it was some kind of like mechanical calendar nowadays, but mm -hmm. it, we're not entirely sure exactly what its purpose is. But within the world of 40k, apparently it was a special device that allowed you to literally see the warp. Right? So is this the rubrics? No, it is not. Damn it. I thought it was new. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Perturabo has made a perfect replica of that device for Magnus at his request. Because mm -hmm. uh, Perturabo is an excellent craftsman. He can do basically anything. So he's made him yeah. this. <laughs> and he shows it to his brother, and Magnus is delighted with it. He's so pleased by it, how perfect it is. And he makes a point of like expressing how perfect it is to his brother. You know, really, really praising him on his skill. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Perturabo as a good brother would, uh, kind of goes on a little spiel reminding Magnus about their father's warnings and how dangerous it is to stray too close to the warp and things like that. Yeah. And uh, he then continues to smash the device purely as a warning to Magnus. But it kind of shows they actually are really good brothers and Porter Abel really did care about Magnus. He didn't want him getting in trouble. He didn't yeah. want anything bad happening to him, uh, even through his own curiosity. But that's just one small part of what goes on in the story. It really just stands to show that these two were quite close. Yeah, they cared for each other. Yeah, they really did. They really did care about each other. Uh, but there's a few other major events that go on in the Morningstar storyline, which are the kind of things we want to talk about. I would yeah. say the most important is based around the Lux Ferrum, which is a giant mass conveyor ship. So it's, it's a void ship, but it's so large that it's never meant to be on a planet. Because <laughs> okay. it's, it's basically impossible for it to take off. <laughs> so... Uh, the whole point is they're meant to be like giant cargo ships, right? Or giant people carriers. But you're meant to use them by, like, loading them already in space, where weight isn't an issue. <laughs> and then you're meant to unload them the same way, using, like, smaller ships. Yeah. Uh, but because they didn't have a huge number of ships, and they didn't have... Uh, a way to do multiple take uh, multiple takeoffs to ferry people onto this thing, because they kind of had a deadline for getting people off this planet. They just, yeah. they had the Lux Ferrum landed on the planet, and they had these, like, essentially tow ships 
that they would attach to it to help drag it off the ground, right? Mm. Uh, and this was the plan. So they loaded up a vast majority of the world's population onto this giant ship. And obviously everyone's fighting to get on board, but not everyone can. So they have guards, all like legionnaires acting as guards, all around the loading area to keep everyone back. Mm-hmm. And the ship begins its takeoff. So it's firing its engines and all these tow ships are helping to pull it up as well. And it's around this point that some of the legionnaires that are guarding start to like pick up that something's not quite right in the crowd. It like there's like a tension in the air that feels wrong. Specifically, some of the thousand suns start to sense some kind of malicious intent because they are yeah. a lot of them are quite psychic. Yeah, uh, Magnus's sons. Yeah, Araman in particular, his his uh, first uh, second in command. Yeah. Is is one of the ones that's like shit's about to go down here, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there is like fighter ships in the sky taking out the the like towing ships that are helping this thing get off the ground, and uh, then people like like rioters basically from the cult of Shaitan burst out in the crowd and start killing people and firing rockets up at the Lux Ferrum and stuff like that. Like they are not letting anyone get off this planet. <sighs> Now, That's a bad day. Yeah, but they, they're able to hold them off long enough that the ship manages to almost get to, like, you know, a reasonable height for it to leave. But yeah. at the last minute, they destroy the last of the couple of the towing ships, and it yeah. begins to fall. Obviously, oh, it's shit. firing its own engines at, like, max burn. But if this mm-hmm. thing hits the ground, everyone on it dies. <laughs> like, yeah, fast. that's... Like, Big impact. <laughs> a big yeah. fall. <laughs> like, no one's getting out of that. Nope. Now, the Thousand Sons are severely hindered in this kind of fight that breaks out because they are under orders to never use their powers in front of anyone. So they're fighting as normal legionnaires, right? Yeah. Because this is after the emperors slapped the back of their hands and went, no more magic. So yeah. they are all, like, ordered under Magnus's rule no one uses your powers in front of anyone that's not of our legion. They will not understand, no matter what. Uh, but Morningstar is kind of a point where they have to use their powers. Because Magnus, for example, uses his to shield a, a carrier ship that picks him up at one point from the, the weather. Things yeah. like that. But it's at this point where the Lux Ferrum starts to gradually fall back to Earth because its own engines can't lift it out of the gravity mm-hmm. that Magnus realises like, it doesn't matter if people find out that he has magical powers or that he's still using them if he can't do his job. like That's the trade-off. It's either not be able to save people and protect his people and stuff like that, not be able to serve the Imperium properly, or be tried as a sorcerer and he accepts that that deal basically so he charges out it like directly under the lux ferrum and he, he has a bunch of his sons with him. i believe there's like 23 or 24 of them that are all with him mm. and he begins to use his powers to lift the ship to force the ship back upwards what not to what? actually lift it, but to gradually slow its its descent. Right? He's not trying to like send it away. He's trying to stop it from, you know, exploding it, it, on impact. Damage control, essentially. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Right. He's yeah. like, I can't lift the thing, but I can sure as hell try and slow it down. 
Yeah. Or, oh, Spider-Man in the, you know, with, with the web where you hold the trains, right? That essentially that kind of concept, yeah. yeah. So he starts kind of trying to force it back up. And then all of his sons that he brought with him make uh, ritual circles around him. They split, they separate into circles of sons, gradually expanding in number around him, and mm-hmm. all feed their power into him. And it, it's not just like their power being added, it's also the burden of what they're trying to do is shared among them all as well. They're all linked yeah. through their powers for this, trying to lift this ship. And it's it's not decelerating. It's not slowing down. It's just falling. Uh, sorry, it's just picking up speed as it falls slower. They're not actually able to stop it. And so. it's like the sheer amount of force they're putting out is actually forcing a crater in the ground under them. They're getting forced into the ground rather than lifting the ship. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. And a good way to think about a magical power in 40k is a like a fire, right? So whereas if you were to look at Magnus in this light, you would see like this untamable blazing wildfire. And all of his sons would essentially just be a spark in comparison. Right? Yeah. They are they are nothing compared to him. And it's, it's as Magnus is realising that there's, there's no more he can put into this and his sons are now suffering from this kind of like backlash of using so much power uh, yeah. that he starts to kind of lose hope a little bit. And in that kind of moment of darkness, he sees a flame, a flame that he hadn't seen before. Uh, he had never realised this was there. And he calls out to them. It's his favoured son, Ariman, who he has never realised, he's never seen the actual power that like that was within Ariman until right now. He yeah. is so far beyond any of the rest of his sons. And he mm-hmm. asks him for help. So out of nowhere, we have a Primarch actually asking one of his kids to help him. And mm. Ariman lays his hand on Magnus and floods all of his power like to add it to the ritual mm-hmm. and directly shares the burden of the spell they're casting with Magnus. Damn. Yeah, because like, they're all in agony at this point from what they're doing. The sheer overexertion it's, it is horrendous. But yeah. with, with the addition of the small amount of power that Ahriman actually had in comparison to Magnus, they are able to slow the ship enough that they can, like, descend it gradually rather yeah. than having it accelerating an impact. And they are able yeah. to safely lay it on the ground over them. Because you got to remember, they're all in a crater now that they've built from doing this. Yeah, it so pushed it just, them way down in the ground. Yeah, so it just lays on the ground over them nice and safe. And That's kind of cool. Yeah, there, there's a really good quote about it. Uh, something that Magnus says when he's like thinking about it, like how minuscule Araman's power was compared to his own. But the comment is something like, uh, "Even a pebble can start a landslide." And you're like, "That's such a good quote." <laughs> it really is. It's it's like a one man against the world kind of quote. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's like. After they manage to land it, obviously, 
there's a moment where Magnus starts to lose consciousness, so his vision starts to go black, and he hears yep. Araman uh, point out that actually only two of his sons are still alive. The rest of them have like burned away to dust inside their armor. Bruh. Yeah, the sheer backlash of Magnus's like of the spell they were casting and them sharing some of Magnus's power for that amount of time like disintegrated them in their armor. The only ones that survived were Araman and a man called Phosis Takar. Okay. Yeah, they were the only survivors. And he kind of like, hears Araman pointing this out as he like passes out. Uh, but as he's like falling, basically, he can see through his like kind of darkened, hazy vision, some giant in iron and black and yellow armor marching towards him. And then he doesn't actually fall. He's caught and he just hears Perturabo be like, I've yeah. got you, brother. And then Perturabo like carries him out of the crater to safety. <laughs> It's <laughs> really nice. sweet. Uh, hey. I actually, I have. Uh, let me find this. Here you go. Perturable carrying, uh, carrying <laughs> Magnus. Like, that's really sweet. <laughs> Two of the worst uh, traitors the Imperium's ever seen in a brotherly embrace. <laughs> I love that. You know, I love that. It's really nice. It's cute. Yeah. But hey, yo, respect Araman, you know? Oh, yeah. Do you want to see what Araman looks like? Yeah, go on. Uh, so here's a couple of pictures of him side by side. This is Araman. Mm -hmm. So he's the first captain, essentially. He's Magnus' second in command. Uh, yeah. I have one more as well that I like. This is him, like, using his powers. Oh, God. Yeah, he's a bit of a tank. <laughs> really, though? Like, yeah, we don't, we don't fuck Araman. <laughs> I can't, he can't, but you know, you know what I yeah. mean. Yeah. Powerful. Oh yeah, powerful. <laughs> but keep in mind, he is basically like one one hundredth of Magnus's power, maybe. Like, he is nothing compared to Magnus at this point. Yeah, I was about to say he's not Primarch. He could be uh at he could be at Magnus's level when Magnus was a baby in his little cryopod. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he might not even be that powerful. That's the thing. He is oh, considered yeah. like a master sorcerer at this stage. And like, he's basically nothing compared to Magnus. Like, if you're talking yeah. purely in terms of sorcery, he's not fit to clean Magnus's boots. Like, nah. that's, the, that's the sheer difference in their powers. But he's still oh, got know, more it's... power than most other sorcerers. Um, yeah. Interestingly, you know, in this day and age, how, like, sorcery is like a no-go, uh, there is one other legion that has sorcerers that can, like, match Armin's level. Can you oh, guess what shit. legion it is? It's really funny. <laughs> I no, I'm not too sure. It's the Space Wolves. The Space Wolves. Yeah, you know the guys that hate magic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they have like some of the most powerful sorcerers in the galaxy in their legion. Well, you know what? You know what, Ryan? I I would also such like uh, say what what about the orcs? They can use magical powers. They just don't know it. <laughs> no, no, no. some of them do know it. <laughs> they have like crazy orc shamans. Yeah, but you know they might be you know that might that's be a fair point. Yeah, point. but I, I'm purely talking at like the thirty k mark when we're like pre heresy and stuff. Uh, uh -huh. If Araman is considered to be like a master sorcerer in his legion, that interestingly enough, that like one of the main legions that has people that can match them 
are the Space Wolves, because they have rune priests that are basically just like Viking magical shamans. And uh, there, there is a point in one of the early uh, Thousand Suns books, like from the Heresy era, where Ahriman is like projected his soul into the warp to do some exploring, and he makes a mistake and draws the attention of these like malicious warp creatures that start eating his soul. And just out of nowhere, this big, like, glowing fucking uh, spirit wolf thing comes and saves the day. And he's like, who the <laughs> fuck are you? And then, like, the next day, he meets uh, a space wolf's rune priest who is, like, set onto the same mission as him that he hadn't met yet. It was him that sensed what was going on and was just like, oh, yeah, I'll sort this out. Yeets his spirit in to save <laughs> Armin's life. And his you know, name is John Cena Wolf. I don't know. <laughs> it was probably like Ivor or something. They're not very creative with their naming. <laughs> no, no. Uh, hilarious, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I've just reminded myself of this really... I, I was reading a, I was reading one of the Space Wolves books the other day, uh, and there's a really funny bit in it where... So the whole point is that they're on this big desert world, Right, mm-hmm. and the spe- there's like a small squad of space wolves that are fighting there, and one of them goes off on his own into this desert to look for something. I can't remember exactly what. This was like three books ago for me now, uh, mm-hmm. but he ends up like he gets into like these ruins and he finds uh, among fighting, he finds reinforcements by accident, and they're like Fenrisian human guardsmen. And then he's like, how the fuck did you end up here? <laughs> but he basically just recruits them and takes them back with him. And when he gets back to like his actual squad, they're all like, that dude went in a desert and found our soldiers. If we gave him longer, he'd probably find Russ. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. I love that. <laughs> anyway, totally irrelevant, though. I apologize. I just reminded myself of that. And it was very funny. So... <laughs> Moving forward, there is another major point from uh, from Morningstar. I may as well round out the point of the whole Morningstar thing. Yeah. Uh, so the actual main purpose of the whole story is the cult of Shaitan. There's a backstory to them. And it's that Magnus finds this like long-buried colony ship. And it's the ship that initially put humanity on this world like centuries ago. Yeah. And... He finds out that actually they were the colonists were possessed by a demon or a gestalt entity called Shaitan. And that's what's running the cult now. It's just possessing humans. Hmm. So uh, he ends up capturing the demon gestalt entity, whatever you want to call it, in the Book of Magnus. He basically just like kidnaps it into his book. <laughs> and then they leave because the planet is about to fall apart, basically. And when they get back into orbit, everyone kind of knows that it was like a demon or whatever was possessing them. What they don't know is that Magnus has it with him. Oh. Uh, and Port Rabo and, like, basically everyone is like, we can't leave this planet as it is because that demon thing is there. We need to get rid of it. That's our job. So they just nuke the planet into nothing. They just exterminate us, the whole planet, and then turn all of their ship's guns on the evacuation ship that they got off the planet because none of the planet's populace can be allowed to leave in case any of them are still possessed. Yeah. So it was all pointless. (laughs) 
Well, great. <laughs> Fun times. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Now, right, we're gonna we're gonna move on from the Morning Star thing. It was just it was a it was a really good bit to tell you about. Uh, yeah, I liked and, it. I liked it. Oh yeah, but we're gonna like get in a bit of a a bit of a Legion based kind of origin to end kind of thing now. So okay, uh, we're gonna be rolling over a lot of the stuff we mentioned in the in the previous season, but like just to kind of in case it's anyone's first time here. So oh. a bit of a reminder just to build the storyline for you. So also a reminder: if this is your first time listening to to this, this is season four. You have a lot of catching up to do. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> I don't know why you'd start with season four, but why not? <laughs> I don't know. The algorithm like, feeds what it want to feed, Ryan. You know that's very true. <laughs> no one knows what the algorithm is doing. Nope. Absolute fact. So. When the Thousand Suns were first created, as you may remember, they suffered from mass mutations, right? The flesh yeah. change, they called it. And they would basically just take on, you know, gradually take on monstrous bestial forms. Like that. <laughs> I don't think I showed you this last time. <laughs> it's pretty banging. But this is the kind of stuff they would turn into. So you can see why it was such a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I reckon just make some special power armor for that and send it in. It'll be fine. <laughs> like That's what the Blood Angels do. When there are people turn like feral like Sanguinius, they basically just send them back in and just keep their own troops away from them. Like, yeah, they'll die, but they'll kill four million of the enemy first. <laughs> right, yeah, we should have done that with them. It would have been a great idea. <laughs> Just use them like a suicide bomb. Just launch, like, drop pod them straight into the enemy's roof and just see what happens. It's like, it's not eth ethical, but it's, it's like, effective. <laughs> yeah. It's really, yeah. That's a lot of damage. <laughs> yeah. So imagine you're, like, some, like, rebellious governor and you're sitting with your council in your office telling them yeah. your plans and then a drop pod flies through the ceiling and you're like... Ah shit! They just one. They just crushed Dave, who was my general, and two. I'm gonna get murdered by space marines, and then the bolts blow, and the door flies off, and then that thing runs out. You're like, God, I wish it was a space marine <laughs> as you try and claw through a window. <laughs> if only it was a goddamn space marine, it'd be faster. <laughs> Fun times. So yeah, this is what they were turning into, which is a big issue, obviously. And the Emperor and the Selenite gene rights obviously thought it was a genetic issue and tried to solve it. But it never came to anything. They never found a way to cure it. Uh, eventually, I believe it was Malkador the Sigilite that suggested the only way to fix it may be to reunite them with Magnus. Yeah. It might be some kind of like, I don't know, soul-based resonance is causing it. It's like not having him around is causing like a destabilization of the genetics is what he was figuring. Obviously, when they did bring Magnus back, there was some relief from the mutation, but it wasn't, one, it wasn't entirely cured, and two, it wasn't really because Magnus was back, it was because Magnus taught them to control their powers properly. Okay, yeah. So the problem seemed to be solved as far as the Imperium was concerned, but the Thousand Suns still knew. It did pop up once in a while. It's just that they kind of got better at seeing the signs beforehand and doing things about it before you had that to deal with. 
Like, once one arm is a tentacle, you just bolt her the guy's head rather than waiting for that. That was basically yeah. the method. Interestingly, prior to uh, Magnus's return, uh, obviously the legions were all recruited from Terra initially. And of that first group, we actually had a young Azek Araman and his brother, uh, Ormuzd? Ormuzd? Anyway, two of them were recruited at the same time and both became legionnaires together. But yeah. unfortunately, Ormuzd uh, did actually suffer from the mutation and had to be killed. Uh, so it like set who Araman was because, one, he loved his brother. So much so that the pendant that he wore all the time that they got from their mother, he had it fitted into the shoulder plate of his armor, uh, oh. which is interesting. But it also kind of set Armin to hate mutation more than anything and be like dead set on curing it. Yeah. So that like set who he was all because of this mutation thing. But that's also why, like, Araman was so dead set on, like, growing in power. It's why he ended up growing to a stage that he became second to Magnus, was because yeah. of what happened to his brother. Which is interesting. So it was good to get a bit of a origin story for these people, for their uh, motivations. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, <sighs> So our story then moves forward in the usual manner with a Great Crusade kicking off and then the gradual fall of chaos, which is pretty standard at this point. Yeah. Uh, but it's at the fall, of fall to chaos that things take a real turn for this Legion. So as you'll remember, the first kind of major turn in the story for the Thousand Sons is when Magnus tries to warn the Emperor blasts apart all the wards and lets demons into the palace. And then the Emperor obviously sends the Space Wolves to bring him back. Horus gets in the way, changes the orders to a kill order. And then we have the burning of Prospero. Where the Space Wolves obviously, you know, burn the planet to the ground and Russ tries to murder Magnus with his own hands. Yeah. And at the very last second... Uh, Ariman completes a ritual that Magnus had told him to carry out, which would basically teleport the entire Legion from Prospero to a world within the Eye of Terror. And this is that world. Oh, God. Set up that ah, order wrong. <laughs> it's consuming me, Ryan. <laughs> anyway, that's it. That's the one. I don't know why it's like that. We'll just get rid of that now. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully I've not set up any other pictures incorrectly. That was weird. <laughs> it's fine. It's you know, we'll fine. go back to looking at Araman's handsome faces. You know, that's not too bad. Yeah. yeah this, these ones are fine. I don't know why it's doing that. It's in the right order. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, it was the planet of the sorcerers, which is where they ended up. And it became the new home for their legion. But this, this point where they got to this planet, where this was their new home... The Legion accepted Zinch as their new patron at that point, right? Yes. And there are some benefits to doing that, especially for this particular Legion, because they are a Legion of Sorcerers, and Zinch is the god of magic. Yeah. So, obviously, there are some benefits to being his patron if you are a sorcerer. 
But there is also a downside to the situation for the Thousand Sons, which yeah. is being in the Eye of Terror massively exacerbates the flesh change. So a lot of them start succumbing to mutation really quickly. Yeah. So the problem has went from like a 2 to a 10 overnight since being in this place. And it is a serious problem. And it's accelerating. Like yes. So 2 I, to 10 to 20 to... Exactly. It's getting worse and worse and worse. They're losing troops by the day to becoming Damn. monsters, basically. Benefit is you don't have to kill them anymore. You can just kind of send them off into the Eye of Terror to let them go do things. <laughs> Yeah. But this was obviously a pretty dark time for them. They've turned their back on the Imperium. They're stuck away from their home world, which was now being burned by their by their friends and you know cousins, basically. Yeah. And now a bunch of the Legion itself is falling apart. Yeah. Now we come to the main event. Around this time, Magnus is obviously busy doing other shit. And Araman is the one we're going to be looking at. This guy here. He's our important character, right? Yes. With the Legion suffering from these mutations so severely, Araman took it upon himself to fix it. Mm -hmm. So he gathered a cabal of the greatest sorcerers that the Legion had, right? Mm -hmm. All of the best got roped together. And he basically proposed to them that they enact this great ritual that he has claimed from the Book of Magnus itself, and it will purify the Legion. It'll cure them of the mutation. But he needs yep. all of the strongest together to do it. So they all agree. This is the plan. And when they were ready, he gathers the Conclave, and they begin this ritual. It was known as the Rubric. Yeah. See? It is this great purifying ritual. And when the ritual is kind of cast, right, the whole planet of the sorcerers is consumed in these, like, yellow and blue lightning storms. Yeah. And it starts, like, killing legionnaires. Like, the bolts are hitting people and just evaporating them, basically. People are just being dropped left, right, and centre. So Magnus eventually steps up and puts an end to the ritual. He, like anti-magics this shit right yeah for the record the ritual was so powerful that like demons all across the warp were like oh <laughs> like <laughs> it freaked them out like they like, 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 shy scare. away from it yeah they were like hiding from it because they didn't know what the fuck <laughs> was going on that's how powerful this spell was Damn. but in the aftermath of it after magnus put an end to it the spell turned out to have been uh an incredible success and a devastating failure at the same time. So I was right the whole time. It is kind of a weapon. In a sense, <laughs> yes, but it was never intended to be. I, when you said that, I was like, I can't, <laughs> I can't say it because it's not meant to be. It depends on how you use it, Ryan. Like a oh. knife, you can use it for butter. You can use it for bad stuff. Or a hammer is a good example. A hammer is... Exactly. Realistically, anything can both be practical and a weapon. Like, I can hit someone with a chair. Like... <laughs> I, <laughs> yes. yes. I saw a guy got, get his nose broken by a door once. Like, a dude just oh. slammed the door in his face because he was being a dick. Like, uh. even a door can be a weapon, man. <laughs> I mean, right, you can use a brick to build a house or... You know? Yeah. 
I'm just gonna say. I don't want to, yeah. you, you know, trigger the uh, <laughs> the algorithm again to ban us for same time. <laughs> it's probably gonna happen anyway. We're gonna build houses with those bricks. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, <laughs> we could have a nice brick fight. Yes, yes. we're consenting Le- adults. We can do that. No, it's Lego bricks, right, Ryan? It's yeah, <laughs> somehow that sounds more dangerous than actual bricks. Bro, if you step Lego on one of those, it's a deadly. Rip. <laughs> if you step on it, it's a rip. <laughs> Uh, right back to the terrible ritual so so on the plus side right Mm. the small amount of the legion which were already like pretty good sorcerers that were like already you know worth noticing as sorcerers or were really powerful found that their powers were greatly multiplied they were massively more powerful now oh but the vast majority of the legion had been uh, had their armor had been magically sealed, so it was like airtight, and their okay. bodies had been reduced to dust inside their bot inside their armor, and their souls were trapped inside, animating the armor. So they okay. were reduced to like just a soul in a suit of armor as like an automaton, without being able to think for themselves or anything. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the vast majority of the Legion are just automatons now, without any question. personality. Yes. Uh, whoever gets the fate of automaton versus get, getting more powerful, is that a random selection? Or is it like, you know, the powerful getting more powerful now, and the ones who's not, you know, kept up, it's like... It, it was... It was... As a rule, it was basically those that were already powerful became more powerful. Okay, those so that, that were barely uh, barely sorcerers or not sorcerers at all were all turned into automatons. So it is okay, the vast majority that are now just a suit of armor with dust inside. Yeah, with the elite yeah. being stronger. I like. I'm just wondering if it's like you know a selection like Thanos. You know, like. You get it, you don't, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right no, now. it was very much like the powerful become more powerful, the weak yeah. turn into automatons. It's like real life. Yeah. Economy-wise, but... This <laughs> yeah. Most things-wise, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, let's not go into politics, though, but yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, if you look at it at this point, Araman has reduced Magnus's legion of academics and scholars and poets and everything like that to mindless automatons. But in yeah. doing so, he has made them immune to mutation. Just saying. So it was kind of like a double-edged sword. Kind it of very thing. much was, yes. It, it the problem is that the edge facing you is much worse than the other one. Is it like, what does that mean? That uh, I failed successfully, you know? Yes, uh, task failed successfully. Task failed successfully. <laughs> yeah. But for what they had done... Araman and his cabal were all exiled by Magnus. They were never mm. they were literally magically banned from the planet of the sorcerers. They physically cannot return there. And yeah. they were banished from the Legion. So this was the event that actually led Magnus to mimic Horus and like set his vow that he would see the galaxy burn. Yeah. This is what his his favored son was the one that made him turn his back on the galaxy as a whole, which is yeah. which is pretty harsh. <laughs> Interestingly, even in the modern day, Magnus still loves Araman, even though Araman just keeps fucking up more and more. 
But Magnus still loves him. He just he kind of just wants everything back to normal. Uh so since that day, the vast majority of the Legion have been made up of what are referred to as Rubric Marines or the Rubricae. Uh, mm -hmm. I've got a picture of them here. So that is a Rubric Marine. Mm. Which is quite cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the thing is, they can only be given orders psychically. So the, the Legion is vastly made up of these autonomous Marines and a handful of the still-living Marines who uh, basically act as, like, generals for them by psychically giving the squad's commands. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's funny. If you communicate with one of these using, like, your psychic mind powers, right, uh, all you hear from them is, like, the sound of dust falling. No. Oh. Just quite harsh. It really is. Yeah. But now we come to the the modern day, the fortieth millennia, kinda <coughs> Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, choking on nothing. <laughs> so now we come to the fortieth millennia, the kinda the modern day kind of timeline, right? Actual 40k. Yes. And in this era, since being banished, the Thousand Sons are kind of split into two groups, right? Mm -hmm. There is those still loyal to Magnus, who are still with their father on the planet of the Sorcerers, furthering his goals. And mm -hmm. the rest are basically in scattered war bands. Because you got to remember, uh, you know, like the Black Legion and all that stuff, where Abaddon reunited a bunch of the other kind of traitorous legionnaires regardless of legion under his banner yeah all those like small groups of different legionnaires and stuff that he pieced together were all individual war bands that had been going around the eye of terror fighting for whatever they felt like at the time so in this case the thousand sons that aren't with magnus the vast majority of them are all split up into different war bands just doing whatever they think is right at the time yeah yeah uh, and hidden away, you know, long forgotten and lost even to himself, sits Alzek Araman, now part of a small band of, like, Chaos Marauders. He has completely foregone using any magical powers, except for, like, the minorest things, and has totally forgotten, like, who he is and who he was, having taken up the alias Horkos, so he's now, he's went from being this, like, absolute tank legionnaire who was, like, a master sorcerer and all that stuff to, like, taking up this name Horkos as an exile. And he just, like, is meek and kind of afraid of everything and gets beaten by the other members of the crew all the time and stuff like that. And they all think he's just useless and worthless and threaten to kill him all the time and stuff like that as he, like, like whimpers in a cell in the bottom of their ship. Damn. That's who Araman ends up as, this little meek little weirdo called the Horkos. But that's so sad. Yeah, but all over the Imperium, all over the entire galaxy, those who look into the warp, they they hear rumors. They see like omens of something coming. A storm is brewing. They hear yeah. whispers from the storm, and many. Many know this storm is coming, 
But to those mm-hmm. who take the risk and listen closely to the whispers, they hear a long-forgotten warning. Aramid. Okay. So this is a this is a big deal because the warp obviously is not set with time, right? So you do yeah. see omens of things that are going to come, and. In the 40th millennia, there is a point where everyone knows something big is coming, but they don't know what. But when they listen, the warp simply whispers back, Ahriman. And that is a name that is long forgotten to history. But in the 40th millennia, Horkos does realise who he is and return to his greatness as Ahriman and take back or takes back control of a large or a large section of his legion, he goes yeah. back to being the first captain, just not under Magnus. He reunites a lot of the Thousand Sons, but that yeah. is an entire storyline that we will get to in the next season, probably. Maybe could be. Also, <laughs> I'll show you what Armin looks like nowadays, right? So, just so you, so you remember, uh, this is Armin back at like the thirtieth millennia. Yeah, this is him now. <laughs> Oh, God. It's <laughs> yes, an absolute yes, beast. Yes, <laughs> Love yes, this guy. Yes. I, I like the artwork, by the way. It's really good. My, my favorite one has to be the Parabo and Magnus. Although, <laughs> I, I found this on Reddit, but the guy's account, has, or the person's account, has been deleted. Although, that is... That is the name of the person who wrote it right at the bottom. I, I do yeah. have the name. I just have no idea how you pronounce it. It's like Rithiel or something like that. It's a lot of weird like letters to have together. But I will put a link to anything I can find of theirs uh, in the description so that people can find it if they want to. Because yeah. that is truly incredible. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's... Uh, I think that's enough that we'd be able to start talking about the Thousand Sons in the modern day. So, would you like to round us out? Uh, sure thing, Ryan. Well, uh, it's been me, Miss, and Ryan, and we thank you for listening to this episode of Iterators of the Imperium Podcast Season 4. I still can't get over. We made it this far. Uh, but we will see you, or hear you, or you know, do stuff. Smell you. In the next, smell you. So I'll Taste smell you, you. later. <laughs> next week, take care and peace. Bye.